Well, thank you, Jerry, for bringing us through some of uh, what the Belize team does. And good morning to you all. Good morning. Well, it's good to see you guys today, good to be with you guys today. My name is James Martin, and I am the communications pastor at The Bridge Church, and, uh, and I am thrilled to be here today, and I just want to say, man, you guys are extremely, extremely blessed to have the teams that you have, to have the volunteers that you have, and, and one thing I want you to realize is sometimes volunteer roles are right in front of people, they have a spotlight, but sometimes volunteer roles, uh, you know, are behind the scenes and so I just want to give a huge hand clap of thanks to all the teams that are serving to, so can we thank them today I appreciate you guys striving for excellence like I said my name is James and uh, I'm just thrilled to be here today my wife Brooke uh, is right there wave at him there, there's Brooke we have three wonderful children uh, Lucas is seven if you see a group of children just kind of standing around doing nothing and one is running and sliding like like a baseball star sliding into home you know at a, at a pivotal play of the game that's him okay there can be nothing going on but he's running and he's sliding and running and sliding and he doesn't even play baseball he's a, he's a soccer kid I don't even get it uh, then we have a five-year-old named Camden he is our sensitive kid, but he is our creative kid. Uh, he loves to build things, Legos, and all that good stuff. And then we have a two-year-old. She is all about that princess life, let me tell you. And we are, we are in a power struggle in our household to see who is going to uh, rule the roost. And many battles she wins. I'll just leave it at that. But <laughs> excited to be here today. Can we do a quick recap of the things that Pastor Andy has brought uh, to you guys the last couple weeks? We have been in this series of nope not today Satan and, and I know you, you guys have looked at Ephesians chapter 6 and we'll go there and this is Paul this, he is writing to the church in Ephesus it was actually a group of about three churches in a, in, in a, a area and he says for our struggle is not against all right I'm gonna ping and you're gonna pong okay our struggle is not against and but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And, and so what, what we're saying here in this series is listen, and it may sound a little weird to you, but there is a real Satan and he has real fallen angels, but they have limited power against believers, okay? And Paul is kind of saying to us, you know, I wanna show you the full extent of Satan's warfare. And it doesn't exist in hand-to-hand -hand combat. This is in a uh, different realm. And Satan uh, is after the hearts of men and women to tr trip us up, to ensnare us, to, to mess with us, and to, to rule over us. That is his end game. But we do not fight that battle against him in this realm. We fight that in a different realm. And so we as believers, if you're a Christian, if you follow Jesus, you surrendered your life to him, there's a really good news for you. Like really, really good news for you is that in the end we win. Isn't that cool? And, and, and we are assured of victory, but in the meantime, we must engage in this struggle until Christ returns. Because Satan is going to constantly battle all who are, again, are on God's side. And so the cool thing is that we have the Holy Spirit within us. And we have the full armor of God surrounding us. And so we win because of what he's done. Now, 
this wall that we've been building, it represents this isolation. And it represents the things that, that we trust in and the things that, that we, we uh, patterns that we may develop in our life, things that isolate us from not just God, but God's people. And this can be emotionally, this can be many different ways. But every time we give in, what we've been saying in this series, every time we develop an unhealthy pattern, every time we trust in something that is shiny and appealing, something physical in this world rather than God, it's like we're, we're building that blockade and we're furthering ourselves and we're isolating ourselves from, from God's people. You know, uh, Brooke and I had a great mentor. His name was Darren Heilman. He was five foot two. If he wasn't a pastor, he could have been a horse jockey. Let me tell you. He was a great man. Some of you guys will have to look that up and get that later. He was a great man. We called him PD. And he, said, he used to pop off these one-liners. And one of the things that he used to say is Satan's goal is to isolate so he can eventually dominate. And if you want to take notes on paper, that's fine. It's also on the Bridge app. Just look for the notes section. But that's his goal. That's his end game is to isolate us so he can eventually, eventually dominate in our lives. Think of the job of Satan. You know, Jesus said, I saw him fall like lightning. Okay, before, before time as we know it began, there was the fall. Okay, and, and so... Satan's job in those times, back in those times, does anybody know what it was? He was a worship leader in heaven, right? He was a worship leader in heaven. And what he tried to do is, you can imagine it like this. I'm just a, I'm a directional person. So let's say all, all the angels are here and they're directing their praise towards God, okay? And he's up here and he's just kind of, you know, doing his thing, directing all that. And he said, you know what? And they're singing, holy, holy, holy. He said, you know what? I, I, I kind of want to get some of this glory for myself. So he kind of stepped in the way of that glory a little bit. This, this feels kind of good. I, I want to receive some of this glory. And the glory was supposed to go to God. But what did he want to do? He wanted to become a glory hog. And he wanted some of that glory for himself. And so that's what his goal is. His goal is to take. His goal is to steal. And in John 10, 10, we're going to go to that today. Uh, Jesus talked about the thief comes to steal, he comes to kill, and he comes to destroy. He wants to isolate us so he can eventually dominate. But Jesus is a giver. Jesus gives life. He doesn't take, he gives. And so and we've been talking about in this series, even though things are appealing and, and things like that, you know, and things want to trip us up. I know Pastor Andy talked about pleasures last week. Uh, we we want to tend to put our hope in those physical things. And it was true in the first century when we go to scripture, but it's also true for us. But we don't need to hope in the things that we can see, the physical and the material things. That's not where we as believers place our trust so I want to encourage you in that today. There is a book that was a New York uh, Times bestseller. And the, the title of the book was written by a, a guy named Lawrence Shames. And the title of the book was The Hunger for More, the subtitle, Searching for Values in an Age of Greed. Okay, this was not a Christian book, but he said this sentence in this book. And it really uh, just compiled the whole book and, and just really put it in one sentence. He says, more. If there's a single word that summarizes American hopes and obsessions, that's it. The word more. I'm going to mention something that probably shouldn't know about, but 
Anybody familiar with the old MTV show, Cribs? You remember Cribs, okay? A cribs, I, I, I Googled this week ridiculous moments of Cribs. And, and let me just tell you uh, what a crib was. It was your house, okay? And a camera crew would like go to a superstar's house. They might have been a musician. They might have been a sports star. Somebody famous. And they would just walk around. And that superstar would just give them a tour of all of their things. Here is my yacht. Here is a car for every day of the week that I have or every color of the rainbow that I have. Here is uh, my tiger rug. Who needs a tiger rug, okay? Here is my basketball court. And, and one, of the, one of the guys who was a rapper uh, in the ridiculous moments, uh, he said, and I quote, here is my workout gym that I don't use and here are all the books that I don't read. <laughs> Now, we laugh at that and we go, oh, man, those guys are so materialistic. But let me tell you, I've got a book or two on my shelf that I'll, I haven't gotten to yet. <laughs> you know, I was like, oh, that'll be good. I want that. That will help me. But can we all agree that we want more? We want to acquire more things. We want stuff. And at some point in society, success lost its reference point to what you could accomplish and it descri was described solely as what you have, as your terms of money and, and terms of possessions. That became success somewhere along the way. Uh, I looked it up this week, and as of January 3rd, source from BEA.gov, it said the national debt is 6.4 times our annual federal revenues, 6.4. So, you know, for every one we take in, we're giving out 6.4. Isn't that, isn't that crazy? This is when outgoing exceeds the input. I've got some terminology and some of you guys might relate to this. Bodybuilders call this outgoing exceeding input. Bodybuilders call it overwork. Electricians call it overload. Pretty simple. You've heard of a circuit being overloaded. Bankers call it an overdraft. And politicians say, what problem? What problem? I don't, I don't understand. <laughs> there was a financial guru named Larry, Larry Burkett. He said in the book, The Coming Economic Earthquake, he said it like this. This is so simple. There's nothing, uh, you know, uh, super profound here, but it's simple and it's true. Spending beyond our means endangers our economic future. The use of credit doesn't eliminate a problem. I'll say that again. The use of credit doesn't eliminate a problem. It delays it and it makes it worse. Can we agree that we are a nation consumed with consuming? We are. And, and too many of our lives are, are characterized by getting more and more, more luxuries, more money, more success, more gizmos, bigger house, things we already have. They kind of lack luster compared to the newest model that comes out to compare to the things that we might get the things that we have are just not as cool and that can be a real problem so what do we do about it today so i want to i want to kind of zoom back out if i could say it that way to the 30,000 foot view of this issue today and and really we're talking about materialism right we're talking about possessions and materialism is when the allure of things leads us to live above our means 
And we can talk about all day what it practically looks like, but I really want us to get to the heart of the matter today. I think that will be more effective. I think that will help you so much more if we talk about the heart of the matter today. Now, money is amoral, not immoral. Money is amoral, okay? Take a, take a brick, right? Say, if this, this were a real brick, okay? Some of you guys in the back are like, it's not a real brick? No, I'm just that strong, okay? No, it's not a real brick. Uh, take a brick, okay? <laughs> a brick can be used for destruction or construction. You can lay a foundation with a brick and you can build something beautiful. You can build a school, you can build a church, you can build all kinds of things. Or you can take a brick and use it for destruction and throw it through a window. See, it's amoral, it's neutral. It can either help or it can either harm. And materialism is not about how much stuff you have and, and all that stuff. It's about how much stuff has you. I'll say that again, materialism, it's not about what we have, it's about if, does what we have, have us? So I wanna ask us some reflective questions today. I want these, you to ask these questions to yourself. Why do I always seem to want more? Why do we seem to want more? What mo motivates me to spend myself into debt? What keeps me from being satisfied from with what I have? What keeps me from being satisfied with what I have? And there are some myths. I think it would boil down to some myths that trick us and fool us and that we're, gonna, we're just gonna face these myths head on today. And I would call these myths the myth of more, the myths of more. The first myth is this, having more things will make me more content. Now, we don't typically articulate that and say that out loud, but we get that feeling that having more things will make us more content. It will bring me more happiness. It will bring me more contentment. And, and if we articulated that, and if we, if we said out loud, well, I'll finally be happy if I have the new, we'd go, no, that's silly. I know that, but we have this feeling. And contentment, if we, if we really latched on to the contentment of, of the Lord, and we'll look at some scripture verses here in a moment, but we would realize that contentment is actually in opposition to stress, to anxiety, to the lack of peace. Contentment is there and, and is waiting for us. The Lord has it for us. And there's some good news and some bad news about stuff this morning. You want the good news and the bad news? Okay, here we go. The good news, stuff can bring happiness. The bad news, it's temporary, okay? It doesn't last long at all. And after a while, the excitement fades and uh, the thrill of, of last year's Christmas gifts just goes away. I wanna tell a story and I promised this young man in my small group uh, that I would not share his name, okay? But uh, I, I wanna give you some context. A couple years ago, I, uh, I got my wife a robot vacuum cleaner for Christmas, okay? I need no lectures from you on not to get appliances for Christmas, okay? Don't lecture me, all right? All right, so, but we did it. I was fascinated with this thing. I think I was more excited about this robot vacuum than, than my wife was. I'm like, look at it. And you're like, clean the filter out and you're like, dump it in the trash. You're like, look at how much stuff this gets. This is amazing. You know, all this dust, we didn't know it was there. You know, got my son's Legos and all that. I'm so excited about it two Christmases ago. And it, it's fascinating and all that stuff. And then last fall, we went into a small group uh, with some of our friends and, and uh, we go over to their house. They were hosting that particular week. 
And uh, I see his robot vacuum. His is a cooler brand. And, and let me tell you something about my robot vacuum, okay? These companies, they will lie to you. They say, they learn the room. They learn the room you're in. Not mine. It just goes, I think it gets the whole room clean just by accident because it does it for so long it's been everywhere. I promise you. But I look at his and you ever like walk into somebody's house and you're like, no one ever goes in that room. You see like the mo marks of the vacuum cleaner, you know, and it's like, wow, that room is perfect. And he tells me about his vacuum cleaner. He's like, yeah, I got it from Newegg. It's like refurbished. It was like awesome. And, and I see how it doesn't do these like ping pong, like <laughs> mo marks, right? It's just perfect back and forth. And he's like, and I ask him about that. And he's like, yeah, actually what it does is it does that. And when the battery gets low, it goes back to home and it charges back up and then it starts right back where it left off and does the rest of the room. And I'm like, you are kidding me, <laughs> you know? And I'm like, Brooke, sweetie, we gotta talk about our selection of vacuum cleaners, you know? <laughs> Christmas is approaching, no, I'm just kidding. But I was just fascinated and you know, I just wanna have an honest moment there that, uh, you know, I do these things too. Now, <laughs> and Jesus spoke to our feelings of, of wanting more in Luke 12, verse 15. And then he, being Jesus, he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. So the myth is the one who dies with the most toys wins. The reality is the one who dies with the most toys dies, okay? Have you ever seen a photo or you ever seen driving down the road in a funeral processional, a hearse towing a U-Haul? We've got a picture of it. Now, wouldn't that just look crazy, you going down the road and you see people standing on the side of the road and people are stopped and you're like, oh, what's going on here? You see people with their flashers, oh, it's a funeral. You go to pull over and all of a sudden the hearse is pulling behind it a U-Haul. Wouldn't that be ridiculous? It doesn't work that way. So I want us to remind ourselves today that long before that our, our, our value was determined not by things, but our value was determined by God. And Jesus says, make sure that your self-esteem is not based on those things, on those physical things, or even on your behaviors. But Jesus says, let your value be based on my love for you. And, and many people say it like this, Jesus loves you just how you are. And I would agree with that. I prefer to say it a different way. I prefer to say it, Jesus loves us despite how we are, despite our sinfulness, despite our shortcomings, despite the fact that we've broken his good and perfect law of holiness. It makes us liable to his judgment by breaking those laws. Despite all that, he says, no, I've determined that I would lay my life down for you and that you have worth. So do not find worth in material possessions. Isaiah 64 says, all of us have become like one who is unclean and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. Don't put your stock, don't put your hope in your behavior either. He says, our righteous acts are like filthy rags. It's based on what God has done for us. So. I think I skipped a point in there, but you know, number one, the myths here are having more things will make more, us more content. Number two, having more things will make us more important. And number three, having more will make me more secure. 
okay? And it goes like this. If I could just achieve financial independence, I would really be set. I would really be secure. I would stop, uh, I would stop worrying and all that good stuff. But the, in fact, the exact opposite is true. The more you have, the more insecure that you tend to be about it because the more you have to lose, the more time you have to put in maintaining that, the more money that you have to pay to ensure that. Does that sound like security to you? No. And I got to thinking this week, I don't have to worry about any barnacles collecting on my boat. I don't have a boat. <laughs> if you have a boat, I'm not bashing you, okay? All right. Uh, I don't have to worry about burglars stealing my Lamborghini. Don't have to worry about that. I don't have to worry about if my seven-year-old will, sh will lose his iPhone 13. Pro Max X or whatever, you know, because he doesn't have that. Brooke, you don't have to worry about anybody stealing your mink coat. You don't have to worry about that. You don't have a mink coat, all right? So what I'm saying is it's dumb to put our security and our hope in the things that we have. Proverbs 18, verse 11. The wealth of the rich is their fortified city. They imagine it a wall too high to scale. So hear me, hear me, hear me. Real security can only be found in something that can't be taken from us. I'll say it again, real security, real peace, that doesn't exist. And it doesn't come from something that can be taken from us. It exists because Jesus has given it. And we have that assurance that he is with us. We have that trust in him. And I am not saying that you're a fool to own something. I'm not saying you're a fool to own a boat, Lamborghini or something like that, but you need to pay cash for it, can I tell you, okay? But I'm asking you, if it is taken away from you, does that rock you? Does that shake you? How secure are you? Paul wrote something incredible to help anchor us. Paul wrote in Romans, his, some would say his most mature book that he had written in Scripture. Romans 8 Paul says, no, in all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. He says, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation. He's, he's ruling out a lot of things, isn't he? He's ruling out a whole lot. He says, none of those things will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So I ask you again, do you have things or do things have you? We've got to let go of that myth of more and realize our security is in Christ. Job, Old Testament figure, uh, one of the wealthiest of, of his day, no doubt, he, he lost it all. And he said it really bluntly in Job 31. He says, if I put my trust in gold or said to pure gold, you are my security, then these would also be sins to be judged. For I would have been unfaithful to God on high. He's saying, listen, if I put my hope in these things, it's just as good as if I were to turn my back on God. 
It's just as good if, as if I were basing my happiness on those things, my value, my security on those things. So how do we survive? How, how do we deal with this when the culture around us is consumer driven? How do we deal with these things in this consumer-driven culture? Pastor James, I want you to get real with me. I want you to get practical with me. And so practicality, when it comes to walking in 2020 with these things and the culture that is around us, it begins with some commitments. So I wanna go over those commitments today because these commitments will help us to break that grip of materialism in our lives. The first one is this, I will resist comparing. That's a commitment that you've got to make. I will resist comparing. You're always going to find somebody with more. I mean, it really doesn't take a whole lot to look around and find somebody with more. And it, it always seems to happen at just the moment that you feel really good about what you have. Robot vacuum cleaner. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but it really does. All of a sudden you look over your shoulder Somebody else has got the new model and it's new and improved. And not only does it wake them up in the morning, it makes them a sandwich. I don't know, whatever the new phones do. First Timothy six, Paul says this to his mentee, Timothy, but godliness with contentment is great gain. And the context here is there was, there was false teachers spreading rumors and, and they were getting the people to believe that, that godliness is a means to financial gain in those times. But he's like, no, 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 instead, I wanna present the truth. I wanna clear some things up about godliness and contentment. So let's make some clarifications. And he's saying, look, godliness does not come and go with uncertainties of material wealth. Godliness paired with contentment, that is the wealth. Mentor PD, he used to say it like this. If you compare and compete, you'll live in defeat. If you compare and you compete, you'll live in defeat. And it's an easy thing to do. Our knee-jerk reaction is to look over our shoulder and compare and compete. So we've got to resist comparing. The other commitment we've got to make is I will rejoice in what I have. If you are not grateful for what you have, then you're not going to be grateful for what you'll get. Ooh, that was good. Let's rewind and say it again. If you are not grateful for what you have, you will not be grateful for what you'll get. And that is the truth. Hebrews 13 says, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. If you find yourself loving money, then you're gonna find yourself using people. If you find uh, yourself doing those things, you've got to realize that God made possessions to be used, not loved. God made people to be loved, not used. And I know it isn't easy. Contentment for me, and I don't know about you, but it does not come naturally. It's like a, a developed character trait, something that's like a muscle that you've got to flex and you get better at it the more that you practice it. But it starts with prayer. It starts with a prayer that says, Lord, help me to be content with what I have. Help me with that, Lord. So if you wanna avoid that trap, you've gotta resist comparing and rejoice in what you have. You've gotta rejoice 
uh, and then the third part is this. I will resist comparing, I will rejoice in what I have, and I'll return the tithe to God. The antidote to materialism is to give the first 10% back. Does God need the money? <laughs> sure, there are needs. You can look around. It's not, not hard to find a need. You don't have to look far. But this principle exists to teach us to break the grip of money and the love of money in our lives. Deuteronomy 14, 23, um, they talked uh, about the tithe and it was back in those days, the, those possessions, those things that they worked for was grain and olive oil and herds and all that stuff. Whatever you make a living with, in other words, he says, bring that uh, so that you may learn to revere the Lord God always. He says, you know, give of those things so that you may learn to revere the Lord God always. And we need God supernaturally involved in our finances and when it comes to materialism. And we cannot afford to not put God first. Malachi 3 verse 10, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And this is something crazy. I said this to my son the other day. I said, test me. Right, and we were joking around, and we're going through the we're going through the Chick Fil A drive-through, and he's like, "I'm going to get out and get me some, get me some chicken." I said, "I'm going to strap you to the roof of the truck on the way home if you do that." And he said, "Really?" I said, "Test me." And he started to get out. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but God is saying, "Look, test me." It didn't make him nervous to say that. Test me in this, says the Lord, and, we'll, uh, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that we will not have room enough for it. I will prevent the pest from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not cast their fruit, says the Lord Almighty. You see the both sides of it there. There's blessings and protection. There's blessings and protection. And in hard economic times when things get tough, our temptation is to stop being a giver, to stop flexing that muscle. But in really and truly, it's the exact opposite of what we need to do. Every time we give, every time we give to missions, every time we, we give to somebody in, in benevolence or something like that, it is a victory over materialism in our lives. I, I can think of two times that the Lord has really proved himself faithful in our lives. There was a time that my, my wife left the job on Friday and she had a new job by Monday. There was another time in August 2012 where, where God told us we needed to, I, I just felt that the, we needed to move, okay? We had been uncomfortable for about two years. It was two years longer than, than I wanted to be there. But he said, now is your time, he said, to move. And, and God went before us. He provided a place for us to stay, a, a job for my wife. I mean, doors opened up for us that we never forced open. We never pushed open because God was faithful because we were faithful. We remained faithful to give. And sometimes in your life, the amount may change, but what matters is the sacrifice. You understand what I'm saying? It's not about the amount. It's about the sacrifice, not equal giving, but equal sacrifice. And, and saying, God, I am believing that you can supply, that you can meet my every need. How in the world could we trust God with our eternal salvation, but not trust him with our finances here on earth? Giving is that antidote to materialism. And that true, true living begins with giving. Materialism is about get, get, get. The answer is to become a giver. And I acknowledge two things right now. This is really hard. <laughs> this is a hard thing to do. But I, I wanna tell you, that just in case there's any doubt, Jesus lays it out clearly. 
Matthew 6, 24, Jesus says, and he hits us hard right between the eyes. No one can serve two masters. You can't serve both God and money. Money is to be used. It is not to be served. So not only is this hard, but this rest assured because number two, it's less hard when we realize that we don't belong here. It is way less hard when we realize where our citizenship ultimately lies. We are pilgrims. First Peter calls us foreigners, calls us exiles in this land. So maybe you wanna ask a spouse, maybe you wanna ask a friend, a mentor, you know, how am I doing with resisting comparison? How am I doing with those things? How well do I enjoy what I have? And this one is really, not many people will hold you accountable for it. But am I investing into eternity? Am I making that investment into eternity? Like I said before, it is like a muscle that we build up. Uh, I, I, I can remember, uh, you know, me being a guest speaker to come in here today, talking, uh, I, we are talking about money a little bit, but we're really talking about a bigger matter. This didn't bother me at all. It's like, oh, great. You want, you want me to come speak? And what am I talking about? Money? Awesome. And it really didn't bother me because I want to tell you, when I was 21 years old, my junior year in college, I opened up a book. It was a Dave Ramsey book called Total Money Makeover. I started on a Friday night. I finished it the next day. And I've been operating in these principles in my life. And I can tell you that they work. I, I used to remember, um, I used to remember when I was going to church, we went to a small church uh, and on the first song we came forward and we dropped off our tithes and offerings. And I remember my dad handing me a check and me walking it forward and dropping it into a basket when I was a kid. I saw people in my life operate in these principles. So it is a hard thing to do, but it's like a muscle. And you know, we're talking about, we talked about money today. We talked about numbers, percent, 10%. And it got me thinking about addition and subtraction. <laughs> so let's direct our attention to a spreadsheet. No, I'm kidding. But it got me thinking about addition and subtraction. And many times in our life, it's like we add Christ, but we subtract nothing. It's like we add Christ, but we don't wanna change things. We, we don't maybe wanna change how we live or how we talk, or we don't necessarily wanna adjust our schedule, or we don't wanna sacrifice our Netflix time for prayer or, or whatever it may be. But I think this is what Paul was talking about in Galatians 2.20. He says, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. I've been crucified. I've gained Christ. There's been addition in my life. But then he says, I no longer live. That's addition and subtraction. See, we've got to make room for both in our life, addition and subtraction. Now think about John the baptizer. How he had, he had a group of homies and cronies that followed him around. He was their mentor. And then he sees Jesus one day walking by. He's like, hey, you should go follow him. <laughs> he didn't care. He had a following, but he didn't care. He's like, hey, I must decrease so he can increase. You know what I'm saying? Go follow him, addition and subtraction. And not many are willing to give up when it comes to our faith walk. But I wanna encourage you Take courage, deny yourself subtraction and see what he'll do in your life. It'll be amazing. And it's more 
than you could do and if it was just you. He'll do amazing things. And at that time, you'll start realizing that you're holding on to things a little looser and you'll loosen your grip on things. And what's cool about that is those things will loosen a grip on you. Do we have things or do things have us? That is where real blessings reside. Can you guys stand to your feet with me? I love to close out in prayer standing. I'm not sure if that's the norm, but that's what I wanna do today. I wanna go over this, this passage in John 10. Jesus is talking and he's talking and giving a, a parable, a, tr a truth, a, a story illustration about sheep. And in those days, you knew what it meant to be a shepherd. If you weren't a shepherd, chances are your cousin was, okay? <laughs> and in the context of that, Jesus says, therefore, uh, Jesus said again, he says, very, very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I'm the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in, they will go out, and they will find pasture. John 10, 10, such a famous verse. The thief, what does he do? He comes to, he comes to, and he comes to, he says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And in those days, they might get a couple of folds of sheep and bring them together and they might be in a cave or an open area or something and they would build up some wall or some stone or some thicket around them about eight to ten, uh, ten feet high and they would assign one shepherd a job to protect those sheep at night from either thieves or, or bad weather or wild animals or whatever it may be and if anybody came in by that front gate that was other than the shepherd they were there to do harm and they might mingle a few flocks together, but that was okay because when the morning came, the shepherds would come and their sheep would know their voice. Hey guys, come on, let's go to this pasture. And it would be easy because the sheep would follow their good shepherd. And only the shepherd has the right to enter in and to call his own sheep to follow. So what is God telling you today? Like we said, the thief, what does he want to do? He wants to take. But Jesus wants to give life, life abundantly richer and fuller and life that lasts forever. So whose principles do we want to follow? The evil thief or the loving shepherd of our lives? Because I'll tell you, the shepherd is committed to his sheep so much that he would lay his life down for his sheep. This begins with one thing, trust. It begins by us trusting that Jesus, I don't just trust you with my eternal salvation, but I trust you with the material things, the physical here on this earth. I trust you with that. That godliness paired with contentment is great gain. So who do we trust in our life? I don't know about you, but I want to trust. And I wanna say this morning, I wanna give an invitation before we deal with other things, let's talk about that eternal salvation. If there is anybody in this room today that you would say, you know what? I haven't surrendered my heart to Jesus. I haven't given my life to Jesus. 
Maybe you said it a long time ago, but you didn't really mean it. Some things have happened since then. What I would tell our teens is listen, doesn't matter how many times you say it, what matters is you mean it. So if that, that's you this morning, will you just lift up your hand? I wanna trust Jesus. I wanna follow him with my life. Awesome, that's okay, awesome, awesome. Well, let's talk about this and let's pray about this. I want us to have boldness to trust. What would this church look like? How would it change this community if we fully trusted in him? Think of the fruits of the spirit, love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, all these things. And I, and I think of three things and I, I don't know if, if, if you would just respond to, with me in this, but there's three fruits of the spirit as I was studying that really stuck out to me. And it's peace, faithfulness, and self-control. But if you identify with one of those things, you, you just, you need more peace. Maybe some things have got you anxious in your life and it may be with what we've talked about today, material things, or it may be something completely different. But if you say, I, I just need some peace in my life. I wanna know who I'm about to pray for. Will you just lift your hand. You can slip it up and back down. Peace, awesome. The next one, the fruit of the spirit praying for you is faithfulness. You say, I want to be more faithful with something. Will you just lift up your hand? Awesome. And then self-control, self-control. I, I need more self-control in my life. I, there's, there's something going on. I need some self-control. Lift up your hand. Awesome, thank you, awesome. Oh, let's pray guys. And I am praying that God will bring us to a place where we trust and we rely on that. Dear God, I, I thank you for bringing us all here today. I thank you for the power of your scripture, the power of your word that penetrates our hearts. And I pray for each and every person within the sound of my voice today that we would have boldness and we would have trust in you. We would say it, but we would live it, God. And we cannot do it on our own. We need you to supernaturally intercede in our lives. So I pray that we would trust more this week than we ever have before. I pray for those that lifted their hand and say, I need peace. I need some more peace in my life. There are things going on and they're shaking me. I need peace. I pray for those that say, I, I want to be more faithful. I want to be more faithful in my life, faithful to God, maybe faithful to other people, whatever it may be. And God, help us with self-control. So many times things get away from us they entrap us or we begin to trust in shiny things, things that are material and uh, have this allure to it, God. But I pray that we would have the self-control that you speak of in Galatians 5, the fruits of the Spirit. I thank you for these things. I thank, thank you that we take these things, we lay them at your feet and we step back and we say, God, I, see, I have seen what you've done and it is incredible. You've changed my life. I thank you. In Jesus' precious and powerful name, we pray together. And the church said, amen. amen, amen. Love you guys. Thank you guys for allowing me to be here today. Trust in the promises of God this week. You are dismissed. Thank you.